I am in the back of the room again, and I am standing here, or walking around a little bit now, and I'm going to walk up and down the aisles this, this week, and you're going to get a little bit more scent of the incense. Um, I was talking to someone last week, and they said, we really need to teach you how to swing that, like Catholic priests swing it. And I was like, no, <laughs> I don't need to know that. That's We're not using it for that reason. Um, so somebody tell me, what's uh, one of the reasons, can anybody remember this psalm right here that's on the screen that says, let my prayer be counted as incense before you, and the lifting up of my hands as that of the evening sacrifice. The idea is that when the scriptures talk about incense and prayer, they rise before the Lord, and there's something aromatic about that. Let's look at the next one. It says, and when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Beverly, I'm sorry. <laughs> She's got her nose covered. And I want to remind you, this is hypoallergenic, so I know it can be strong. Beverly, I'm sorry. Yes, it's still smoke, right? Um, so it shouldn't create allergy issues. Um, but the, the idea is that the even in the picture of Revelation, these angels, and I'm not so sure if that is another term for messenger, but they are going to be standing there before the throne with these bowls of incense representing the prayers of the saints. So there's one more passage in Revelation 8 that reads, And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. So I would say if, if we're adverse to these things around us today, that even when we get into heaven, one of the things that's going to happen is the, the angels or there's going to be messengers that actually have censers, something similar like this, that is going to be uh, containing incense that's burning, representing the prayers of the saints. And so this morning, that's why we have this. And oh my, I put a lot in there, didn't I? <laughs> Somebody else was uh, giving me, um, they, they were talking as I was lighting this out there. They said, so how much training did you have? I said, none. <laughs> Obviously, I've overdone it. Um, we've, we've been talking about uh, the Re Reformation saints, okay? Those who have gone before us that are reformers, because in October, that's typically the month of the Reformation, and historically, we focus in last year, we looked at the five solas. This year, we're looking at reformers and their thoughts on prayers. Now, this morning, we're not actually going to be looking at uh, a reformer. We're going to look at someone who is considered to be the father of the reformers. So if you remember, week one, we looked at Martin Luther's approach to prayer. He talked about that fourfold garland consisting of teaching. When you looked at the Ten Commandments, let me, let me go back. He looked at the Ten Commandments, and out of each of those commandments, you could take a, an idea of the, this fourfold garland where he taught, the, the commandment teaches, that you can look at it from Thanksgiving, about confession, and ultimately praying that. Last week, we looked at John Calvin's teaching on the Lord's Prayer, and I know that was really rich. Um, a lot of thoughts there, and I want to encourage you, if you ever need to go back and go, hey, I didn't catch that, these things are podcast, uh, the messages are. And so you can typically go back in by Tuesday afternoon and find those, and you can buzz through it, just kind of scrub through it and pick up something that you missed, and that way you can have those rich thoughts to maybe hear again. One of the key thoughts that I feel like came out of last week's message as Calvin looked at the Lord's Prayer was this. Prayer is about discovering who God is, 
how he will enact his will, and how we will him, enjoy him doing that. And what's interesting is I think part of prayer is this. We communicate our ever-changing desires, but the will of the Lord never changes. And so prayer is us constantly aligning with him, okay? And, and so prayer is that aspect of our relationship where he conforms us to his will, bringing us back into that right relationship and understanding with him so that we enjoy what he wants to give us and how he wants to bless us with things. And that's what we're ultimately going to see this morning. So this morning, what, who we're going to look at is a guy named Augustine. Now, I'm, I, I geeked out a little bit. Um, how many of you have heard his, of him before? You may have heard, okay, so, several of you, good. Um, Augustine, some people say Augustine. I did a little bit of uh, research um, on his, the pr actual correct pronunciation of his name, and his name would have been officially Augustinus, and then you change to westernize it, and you drop the enus like that, and, and so it would be Augustine because of the way the accent's name. So I'm going to try to say Augustine, okay? The way it should be pronounced is Augustine, not Augustine. So Augustine. So if I get it mixed up, it's because you hear it all sorts of ways, but that's just a little free tidbit. So when Augustine taught, he uh, had some really important thoughts on this idea of desolation and humility. Now, has anybody been to a really desolate place before? I, I have. Um, and, and I go back to this, and in my mind's eye, there were several years that we did, uh, when, uh, in my previous church, we did uh, missions to Gallup, New Mexico, out on the Indian Reservation. And you talk about a desolate area. It's arid, it's full of sagebrush, the, the roads are actually this incredibly uh, red dirt that when it rains and you walk through it, the, the dirt doesn't just stay on the bottom of your foot, it like cakes out into a, a, a big platform. It's almost like you have snowshoes on by the time you keep walking. Way to go, Dad. So proud of you, Mitchell. Everybody's looking, we might as well dress him, give him accolades for doing what Dad ought to do, right? <laughs> Brag on him later, Brian. Okay, you tell him. You, you go, man. Um, and it was just a desolate place. It, it, they didn't have, this is crazy to me, they did not even have running water in America, okay? They had cisterns they would collect water in and that would provide water for them in their homes which meant they didn't have facility use okay there was still outhouses that they would have to dig and then redig and relocate desolate it's a place where you, there is a deep sen sense of wanting and that's what augustine really focuses on now augustine was uh, alive he was uh, in uh, archbishop or a bishop of hippo which is a city in north africa um he was a Roman citizen that had moved over to North Africa and, um, in the 5th century. And one of the things I want us to do to start with, and I'll just give you a little bit of background. So um, he is considered to be, um, because of his early time period, he's not a reformer, but the father of the reformers. A lot of the reformers took his teaching, and he wrote extensively uh, in theology. They took his teaching, especially on the doctrine of sin, uh, and looked at the doctrine of predestination as well. He's, he went through those things, and they developed from his thoughts a lot of thoughts of their own later in the 1500s. So that's his relationship to the Reformers. So let's look at a passage of Scripture in 1 Timothy chapter 6. This is where we're going to begin with text this morning. It's a very interesting passage of Scripture. 
I want to put this back in the context of prayer, okay? 1 Timothy 6, 17, it reads this. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. When we think about prayer, prayer ought to be this, that we arrive in a sense of desolation before God, going, even though we have all these things, even though as, as Americans we are very, very rich, we should not be haughty. Because what does uh, this, this text say? It says that we should not set our hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but let me insert this, we ought to set our hopes on what? Or who? God. And, and I think our tendency, and if you haven't caught this, every one of the reformers says our tendency is to place too much emphasis on who we are and the things that we can a, a, obtain or attain in our flesh. And they continually come back and say, that is not how we are to operate. Because God is the one who is the giver of all good things. And our desire ought to be to go to Him as the resource for all that we have so that whatever He gives us, what is, I love this, is what, what we were here, that everything He provides us with is worth our enjoyment. Man's chief end is to glorify God and what? Enjoy Him forever. It's this reciprocal relationship that we have with Him that as He answers our prayers, we develop a life that enjoys Him more and more and more. Now, let me read the, a statement that Augustine uh, made. He says, In the darkness, then, of this world, in which we are pilgrims, absent from the Lord, as long as, now listen to this, we walk by faith and not by sight, that scripture, the Christian soul ought to feel itself desolate, and continue in prayer and learn to fix the eye of faith on the word of the divine sacred scriptures as on a light shining in a dark place until the dawn, uh, the day dawn and the day star arise in our hearts. What a great statement. Isn't that amazing? How it goes from this state of desolation and need to one where we are uh, understanding this light shining on us. As this new day, that's what prayer accomplishes. It takes that state where we recognize we are desperate for God. And we wrestle in our flesh, with our flesh. And we begin to resign away our flesh to rightly relate to the Lord so that we experience the joy that He has to offer us. Here's another statement He said, uh, or made. He, it, is effective prayer is birthed out of a desperate longing coupled with a clarifying understanding of one's reliance and dependence upon God, his person, his companionship, and his provision. Now, let me give you those four areas again. Prayer is about his person, his companionship, dependence upon him, and his provision. You get that? I, I don't think when I pray, I often think, oh, this is about companionship with God. I think too many times I go, oh, prayer is about the laundry list of things that I need His help with. Prayer is as much about companionship 
as anything else. Prayer is as much about understanding his person as anything else. And when I get those two things right, then there's that recognition of dependence, and then there's an understanding of his constant provision. Does that make sense? I think it's really similar to what we saw John Calvin say in uh, last week's message. Turn over to Psalm 63.1. We're going to hit just a couple of psalms real quickly. I think these are some good things for us to remember. Psalm 63.1. Now think about those four areas. His person, his... Uh, companionship, his de our, our dependence, and his provision as we read this. Psalm 63, 1. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So let's read verse 2. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I'll bless you as long as I live in your name, I will lift up my hands. Do you hear that uh, cry of a desolate psalmist who says, the Lord is the one who satisfies? And that's what Augustine is referencing. Tim Keller writes of this. If you have uh, embraced, actually I'm ahead right here. He says this, if you have embraced Augustine's first principle of prayer, you have realized that comforts and rewards and pleasures in themselves give only fleeting excitement and that if you rest your heart in them, they will bring you less enduring happiness. Isn't that a convicting statement? That if we rest our hopes on anything other than the Lord, they're not enduring. They're going to be fleeting. Um, Look at Psalm 24, 7. It says, Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Look, look at, continue to read. Who is the King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. What an incredible statement that when we recognize who this King of glory is, that we would build a relationship that is dependent upon Him, that He would come in and, and have rule and reign over us. So, effective prayer is this, is birthed out of a desperate longing coupled with a clarifying understanding of one's reliance and dependence upon God, his person, his companionship, and his provision. Now, I want us to turn to Colossians chapter 3. If you look over there, it's a great passage of scripture. And you can got a lot of information up here on this slide. So we're going to walk through this, okay? So, first of all, we're looking at this idea of death and life in Colossians 3, 1 through 3. Let's read this together. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ 
in God. Here's the idea. And this may feel a little strange or seem a little strange at first. We need to let our death provide us the truest orientation to life. See, we've died to self, and we are alive now to Christ. Here's the the thing. If we are going to find relief from our desolation, it's only found in the person of Jesus Christ. Do, Do you get that? Too often... I think we think that we can find relief in our own actions, efforts, energies, studies, pursuits, longings, all those kind of things apart from Christ. He is the one that is to be sought after. Look at uh, verse 1. This is really interesting to me. It says, if you then have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Now, I know it doesn't say pray, but I think what else is seeking the things that are above? But prayer, right? That, so... The idea here is, too, um, it's a command. Seek the things is an imperative. So that is a command that we are to follow through and be obedient to the Lord. Are you seeking the things that are above? I think the struggle for most of us is that we don't think seek the things above. We seek the things that are here, the things that are temporal, the things that are fleeting, the things that are above are eternal. They're ultimately satisfying. And that's what we're to be seeking after. We're to seek those in prayer. So um, if Christ, here's the next um, imperative. Look at verse 2. It says, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Now this is another imperative, but it's a little bit different idea. Because it's setting our minds on Christ and the things that are above with him. It's actually this idea of being... um, Uh, above-minded. Now, the idea is this, that there's values and loves and these delights that are ours when we seek Christ. So here's one of the things I was thinking, is if you have the mind of Christ in you, have you ever thought about what that mind of Christ really means that you're to pursue in prayer? I, I was thinking about that as a result of this message. So here's some of the things I came up with. It means that we seek his thoughts, not not our own. It means that we ought to understand his love. That's what we sang about this morning. His love is strong. His love is enduring. His love is full of grace. His love abounds in mercy. His love is full of kindness. His love also is very just. We could go on and on and on. Are we thinking about his mind? Are we thinking about His love? Are we thinking about His grace, His mercy, His purposes? See, the Lord has purpose for us. Are we pursuing His purpose or our own? We want to know His will, His heart, His instruction. I think those are mighty important things. But is that where we land? Now, let me clarify something. You might, you've heard this phrase probably, where they're so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good, right? That's not what this means. It doesn't mean that we become a spiritual or uh, mental escapist, that our thoughts only exist in the heavenly realms. That's not the point of this. It means instead that we pray to know the mind of Christ so his mind, his will, his purpose, his love, his grace, his mercy, I can go on and on, they are the things that shape our thoughts for everything that we encounter in life. 
It's an ultimate surrender to his lordship. And that's why the Greek literally right there means to be above-minded. So that's where we have to ask this question. Are my thoughts on the things of Christ and what he's thinking shaping my life? Are my values different because of him? Are my loves different? Do I delight in things differently because I think like Christ? Here's what Paul writes next. Look at verse 3. He says, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ. Now, let me try to get this right. He says, if we're to seek the things above, and seek the, um, let me get this right. He says in verse 1, seek the things that are above, and then set your minds on the things that are above. Then, for a reason. What is that reason? For we were dead, but we've been brought to life. We are new. Here's, here's one of the things that I think we struggle with. I think too many people today are walking around not actually having... Uh, let me back up here. I think too many people are walking around today thinking that they have a right relationship with Christ, but they've never died to self. It's this, oh, I can have my old person just change slowly. The Lord can just sift that. That's not what the scriptures teach, folks. The scriptures teach that we have to die to the old self. That's the picture of baptism, okay? I actually should be like that, not both sides. I just double-dipped them and left them down, okay? This is Lisa, Linda, forgive me. Lisa and, and uh, Michelle were here. They would laugh at my bad sign language. Baptism, this is the picture. You take your thumbs together, you dip it down, and you come back up. And we talk about the old Matt was buried and that he's raised to walk in newness of life, right? The old Matt was buried. That old nature, that old self, it's got to be put down. It's not being renewed. It's a new person. Th does that make sense? And too many people, I don't think they want to die. They, they want to, to self. They want Christ to just reform them. It's not about reform. It's about the old Matt dying. That the old person would be put to death. And there's a new person walking. And that's what sanctification is. Sanctification is taking that new nature and continuing to develop that into the likeness of Christ. You get that? And if, if we haven't made that, or you haven't made that exchange from death to life, you're, you can't expect your prayers and your life to be different when the old man is all still invested. We've got to put that old man to death and surrendered our life to Christ. Here's the other thought. People think they can just simply move in and out of the lordship of Christ. It's like they think, hey, I can put on a veneer or a mask or, or live with this facade. But behind it is still the old man that's waging war with the truth of Scripture and with the Holy Spirit. That is not freedom. That's not who we are in Christ. Christianity, I want you to hear this. Christianity is dying to the old self to allow the new person to become progressively actualized. You get that? And that's sanctification. The new person is, and who we are in Christ is who we are to be. So what is the contrast here? See, look at what Paul says in Colossians 3. 3. You have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now at first I thought, that picture is like, okay, like a bush coming under, and I'm hiding in that bush, hidden in Christ. 
That's not really the idea of that word hidden. That, that word actually has more to do with the idea that we are finding the source of our life in Christ. And because Christ is not visible to us, the, the hidden source that's not visible is ultimately what comes out of us. Does that make sense? Can I give you an illustration? I remember when I came to Christ as a 20-year-old. My dad and I were in tons of conflict at that, that time. Some of you have heard this story a couple hundred times. But I remember going to my dad and saying, Hey, Dad, I, I surrendered my life to, to Christ. And he thought we, I was just trying to fix our relationship. That I was just trying to put a mask on there, that veneer. And I told him, it was one of the, probably the most courageous but gentle things I ever said to my dad, was you're just going to have to watch and see. I didn't know what else to say. It was genuine to me, right? And, and I knew that I'd been transformed. I knew that I'd surrendered. I knew that I wanted to die to self. I remember that prayer very, very vividly, that I wanted nothing to do to rule my life anymore. I wanted Jesus to be the Lord of my life. I surrendered. My dad didn't watch me do that. He didn't hear me pray that, okay? So... About two weeks later, after our conf confrontation where I said, you're just going to have to watch, my dad comes back to me and says, I want to apologize. There's something different about you. And it wasn't me. It was Christ in me. It was that who I was hidden, the source of Christ hidden in me, started to express itself in ways that I hoped would, would be uh, visible to people around me, but it was in ways that I couldn't even actually describe or explain because he was the source of a new mat it wasn't a reform mat it was a new mat and that happens as a result of prayer see so so we we think and i love this one writer as i was studying this week he put it this way for some christians their life is too much hidden from the world you hear the, the contrast? If our lives are hidden in Christ, Christ will express himself. For some of us, our life is too much hidden from the world, and they don't see Christ at all, or enough. Augustine, he actually struggled with that. L listen to what he actually said. He said, give me chastity, but not yet. He, he was an impure man before he came to Christ. And his desire was that he, want, he wanted to, to be transformed. So he said, give me purity or chastity, just not yet. Isn't that the way we live and think? That we want something different about us, but we're so satisfied with the fleshly desires that we say that. It may not be that succinct or blunt, but that's really our attitude. Another writer said this, we can be far more tolerant of sin polluting our lives than we are of bacteria polluting our drinking water. Whew. And I thought, my goodness, what an illustration of how we ought to be concerned about the health of our souls and what is really happening with who we are. And, and this is where Augustine comes in and he says, look, the key to this is prayer. Because if you pray rightly and you surrender rightly to the Lord and you have this sense of desolation before Him, you're without anything. And there will be a humility and there will be a surrender to the Lordship of Christ. And you will go from a living dead man to a dead man who's living. Does that make sense to y'all? If it doesn't, you need to read Ephesians chapter 2. 
because we were all dead in our trespasses and sins in which we once walked, following the, the, prince of the course of this world, the prince of, uh, that ruled this world. But because of Christ and the grace that he gives us, we have been brought from that death to life. And so now we are dead men to the old self, walking in life in Christ. So, we look at methods. And this is where I think Augustine gives great instruction about how we are to rightly relate to the Lord. It's real simple. You've heard most of these before. But he talks about when we pray, let it consist of adoration. I think that's what, when we get a sense of who the Lord really is and who we really are in our sin and our need, great need, we adore the Lord. Isn't it interesting that every time I think about David or one of the psalmists wrestling with their sin and their flesh, where do they ultimately end up? Praising the Lord, don't they? Adoring God for who He is, exalting Him, giving Him glory. And that's what adoration is. And then it turns into thanksgiving. Because we recognize that this is who God is. Aren't we thankful that he still relates to us? Even though that he's this holy God, that he is transcendent, that he is not us, that we can worship him. And it produces a thanksgiving because we realize that he wants to build a relationship with us. Let me, let me stop and direct you guys over here for a second. Billy, watch the feedback on these other mics for me, man. Um, if you guys look over here at this banner... One of the things that, that we have been working on over the last couple of years and as we change our name, considering values, considering how we're going to propel people forward in maturity, is we want to hit marks. And these marks don't, I know it says like um, a maturing disciple, okay? They're marks that if I were to say, uh, I'm mature, I have these things in me that are developing so I can say, yes, I'm pursuing help. So if you remember, the far green leaf over there on our disciple, is, it represents at the top that we will be worshipers of God. If you're a healthy disciple of Christ, you will desire to worship Him because you recognize His splendor, His majesty. You recognize the majesty of the Father, that He is sovereign, that He is the Lord of all, and there is no true and living God like Him. I know Dan, um, we, we talked about this. Dan, Dan came across a verse, and I don't even remember where it is, but it talks about other gods are scarecrow gods. They're, they're just stuffed or man-made, and they will just burn. That is not who our God is. Our God is the eternal God who never changes, and he is worth worshiping. And if we could be maturing disciples, we will be good worshipers. The second one that I, I consider second is uh, if you go to the left, that second green leaf, it says, be people of prayer at the top. The reason it's there, if you look, where does the leaf start? At the bottom? About at the knees, right? So the idea is the picture of this, that we would bend at the knees, and through our prayers, we would offer them up to God. Because prayer is that companionship with the Lord. It's our reaching up to Him that we would know Him and experience Him. And if we could be people of rich prayer lives, how different would we be personally? How different would we be corporately? I don't think there's any 
accident that that would be, if you look down the list, second on the list. That we would third, have minds for Christ. Where does that start? Well, Romans 12 talks about us being renewed in our minds, right? And there's other scripture that talks about that. If we have uh, hidden the word of God in our hearts, what does it prevent us from doing? Sinning against him, right? And so minds are what meditate and memorize the truth of God's word. And when we memorize the truth of God's word, what does it do? It changes our prayer life, doesn't it? That's one of the things that I think the reformers have reminded me over and over, is that if we know God's word, we are effective in prayer. Then we would have hands to serve, that we would serve one another and we would serve outside of this body, that we would have hearts to steward God's resources, that he has blessed us with things. Sometimes those are spiritual gifts. Sometimes those are things that, that are talents, that we would just serve God with our resources. And then lastly, that we would have feet to go, that we would be people that share the good news of Jesus Christ with others. Can I brag on our students for a second? Y'all mind me taking a, a moment? It won't be long. Wednesday night, we had 22 students, I think, something like that. I think that's the right number, something like that, um, that came in here to our church on Wednesday night, dressed up in great costumes. I mean, they were awesome costumes, actually. And then they went out into a neighborhood in our community and went trick-or-treating. That sounds like no big deal, right? But here's what they did while they were trick-or-treating. We bought 150 light bulbs to canvas that church. And on that light bulb, we put a label that had 1 John 1-7 on it that talks about Jesus being the light. I know it's cheesy, but he's, Scripture is still Scripture. is truth, right? And we told them that if they would go up to these houses and take turns, trick-or-treat, thanks. Now we have, because you've blessed us, we want to bless you and give you a light bulb and just have a presence of evangelism. Here's what I shared with them when we got back. I said, guys, you don't know what will happen with that simple light bulb and that verse of Scripture because you have planted a seed that God can water whenever they read that. Because the power of Scripture and the power of what the Holy Spirit does with Scripture can't be stopped, can it? It's up to Him to woo them and draw them. And we've put that in, in their, their hands. And I don't know what He'll do, but we got back and we debriefed. And every group, I think except for one, we had four groups. So three of the four groups had someone say no. So they had to deal with some kind of rejection. But they also learned this, how to be confident to do a simple thing, to share the gospel. They had feet to go and share. And I'm so proud of what they did and the attitudes with which they did it. Because I know this, going in, my daughter was like, Dad, I don't get this. I'm not, and I'm not trying to pick on you, Juliana. I get it, okay? For a seventh grade mind, mind and, and perspective, they don't understand that concept. Afterwards, she brought a friend, and afterwards, they were like, that was pretty cool. Her friend's the one who got the no. How about that? We get a visitor here at Trick or Treat, and they get the rejection. So Juliana comes along and ministers to her friend and helps the, the whole scenario. It's really cool. So serving one another in that. It was a great, great exercise. And that was not just the youth. That's you guys as adults, because the youth didn't pay for those bulbs. Our body did, okay, out of missions dollars. So that's a cool thing that we got to do in our community, having feet to go. So does that mean that we're, we're saying, hey, you've got to do all these things to be mature? 
No, but these are things that God has called us to, that they're just helping us say, we are pursuing these things to be healthy. Now, I want to go back to the, the topic of prayer. How do we continue to be people of prayer? Well, I think Augustine gets it. The methods that we pursue with adoration, with thanksgiving, with petition. Why do you think I ask that we have a fall retreat this coming weekend? That you guys pray for these students. Because as you petition the Lord in prayer, He responds. And He will hear our prayers, and He will work in the lives of our people. The last one is confession. That if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a great promise. Confession is essential. If you've never confessed your sins to someone, and especially to the Lord, but I think there's a dual nature to that. When we confess, there is freedom. There's cleansing that comes, especially when you confess to someone who is non-judgmental that says, I still love you, and I know that God is working in you, and that confession shows His work in you because you've humbled yourself to do that. And it's, it's going to be interesting and a joy to watch the Lord continue to work in you as He cleanses you in that sin that you've confessed. It's an amazing thing. Now, let me share this, because I think this is a, a great piece of what Augustine gives us in prayer. He lastly says this, pray in dark times. And let me clarify something. I know this may seem self-expressive or, or, or self-evident. He's not talking about praying in dark places, okay? It doesn't matter if it's light or dark. He's saying pray in dark times. Here's what he identified. He said Jesus had these moments. Think about that. Do you remember when Jesus had dark moments of prayer? Not in the dark, dark moments where he was alone, he was struggling with what he was facing, especially I think about the Garden of Gethsemane. In that moment, I think there were others, and he experienced dark times. And here's what he said. Jesus asked both for deliverance and the ability to endure by submission to God's plan. When you are faced with those dark times, ask for deliverance, ask for the ability to endure and submit to God's plan. Simple, but I can guarantee you this, in those dark times, when things are weighty and you feel overwhelmed, that's not what you want to do. The thing we want to do is what? Escape it. Lord, give me relief, not endure it. <laughs> or, or maybe it's just me. Y'all look at me like I'm a freak. Okay, are we there? Are we all struggle with that? Pray for endurance. Pray for God to reveal His plan and submit to it. I love this. He said, this became a shield for him. In that moment, to endure the hardship of the trial and the cross, you too can have the shield that difficulty will provide. What? Difficulty is a, becomes a shield? That's what Augustine said. Difficulty becomes a shield. It's a shield, now get this, I love it. It's a shield from the illusion of self-sufficiency. When the hard times come, I can't do it on my own. Lord, my tendency is to be self-sufficient. I need you. 
Thank you for the hard times that keep me desolate and humble so that I go to you and find my hope and my security and my relief ultimately at some point in you because you are faithful, you are able, your mercy is good, your will is perfect, your purposes are sure, your grace is abounding, you are a kind God, you love me. All of those things, they provide a shield so that I don't develop a hard heart. Because that's the tendency, isn't it? When, when we think that we can do it on our own, our hearts get hard to God. We don't need Him. We don't need to rely upon Him. And that is self-deception. And all of us struggle with it. All of us struggle with it. And that's what prayer answers. Because we go right back into communion with God when we are desolate and humble before Him. See, I wrote this down. So therefore, prayers of dependency and prayers for wisdom and the goodness of God are to be poured out to give us a richer understanding of His grace, His continual favor, and instill, listen to this, a sense of joy that we would otherwise miss. So why, you get counted all joy whenever we face trials of many kinds. Because those things produce character, character produces hope, and hope produces, or maybe I got it, hope, character produces hope. I get, anyhow, I didn't have it down. I'm coming off the top of my head. Um, ultimately, joy is the result, though. We won't enjoy the Lord if we are self-centered, if our hearts are, are, are hard to Him, and there is a self-deception. It won't happen because we're relying on the wrong things. So prayer is the avenue. So let me ask you this, in conclusion. Is your dependency on God increasing? That may sound like a really simple question, but if we get down to the real nuts and bolts of how we're doing with the Lord, that could be a very, very probing, intense, hard question answer is your dependency increasing if it's not why not what what is preventing you from walking in that companionship with the Lord how are you connecting with Christ see go back to Colossians 3 how are your thoughts being set above on him does that make sense and lastly go back to this last slide slide uh, what methods are you employing? If we get to this point in this series and we're not taking the time now to pray and deal with these things rightly, we're missing it.